The Christmas Banquet from Mosses from an Old Man's and Other Stories by Nathaniel Hawthorne. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bob Newfeld. I have here attempted, said Roderick, unfolding a few sheets of manuscript, as he sat with Rosina and the sculptor in the summer house. I have attempted to seize hold of a personage who glides past me occasionally in my walk through life. My former sad experience, as you know, has gifted me with some degree of insight into the gloomy mysteries of the human heart, through which I have wandered like one astray in a dark cavern with his torch fast flickering to extinction. But this man, this class of men, is a hopeless puzzle. Well, propound him, said the sculptor. Let us have an idea of him, to begin with. Why, indeed, replied Roderick. He is such a being as I could conceive you to carve out of marble, and some yet unrealized perfection of human science to endow with an exquisite mockery of intellect. But still there lacks the last inestimable touch of a divine creator. He looks like a man, and perchance like a better specimen of man than you ordinarily meet. You might esteem him wise. He is capable of cultivation and refinement, and has at least an external conscience, but the demands that spirit makes upon spirit are precisely those to which he cannot respond. When at last you come close to him, you find him chill and unsubstantial, a mere vapour. I believe, said Rosina, I have a glimmering idea of what you mean. Then be thankful, answered her husband, smiling, but do not anticipate any further illumination from what I am about to read. I have here imagined such a man to be what probably he never is, conscious of the deficiency in his spiritual organization. Methinks the result would be a sense of cold unreality wherewith he would go shivering through the world, longing to exchange his load of ice for any burthen of real grief that fate could fling upon a human being. Connecting himself with this preface, Roderick began to read. In a certain old gentleman's last will and testament there appeared a bequest which, as his final thought and deed, was singular in keeping with a long life of melancholy eccentricity. He devised a considerable sum for establishing a fund, the interest of which was to be expended, annually, forever, in preparing a Christmas banquet for ten of the most miserable persons that could be found. It seemed not to be the testator's purpose to make these half a score of sad hearts merry, but to provide that the stern or fierce expression of human discontent should not be drowned, even for that one holy and joyful day, amid the acclamations of festal gratitude which all Christendom sends up. And he desired, likewise, to perpetuate his own remonstrance against the earthly course of providence, and his sad and sour descent from those systems of religion or philosophy which either find sunshine in the world or draw it down from heaven. The task of inviting the guests, or of selecting among such as might advance their claims to partake of this dismal hospitality, was confided to the two trustees or stewards of the fund. These gentlemen, like their deceased friend, were sombre humorists who made it their principal occupation to number the sable threads in the web of human life and drop all the golden ones out of the reckoning. They performed their present office with integrity and judgment. The aspect of the assembled company on the day of the first festival might not, it is true, have satisfied every beholder that these were especially the individuals chosen forth from all the world, whose griefs were worthy to stand as indicators of the mass of human suffering. Yet, after due consideration, it cannot be disputed that here was a variety of hopeless discomfort, which, if it sometimes arose from causes apparently inadequate, was thereby only the shrewder imputation against the nature and mechanism of life. 
the arrangements and decorations of the banquet were probably intended to signify that death in life which had been among the testator's definition of existence the hall illuminated by torches was hung round with curtains of deep and dusky purple and adorned with branches of cypress and wreaths of artificial flowers imitative of such as used to be strewn over the dead a sprig of parsley was laid by every plate the main reservoir of wine was a sepulchral urn of silver whence the liquor was distributed around the table in small vases accurately copied from those that held the tears of ancient mourners neither had the stewards if it was their taste that arranged these details forgotten the fantasy of the old egyptians who seated a skeleton at every festal board and mocked their own merriment with the imperturbable grin of a death's head such a fearful guest shrouded in a black mantle sat now at the head of the table it was whispered i know not with what truth that the testator himself had once walked the visible world with the machinery of that same skeleton and that it was one of the stipulations of his will that he should thus be permitted to sit from year to year at the banquet which he had instituted if so it was perhaps covertly implied that he had cherished no hopes of bliss beyond the grave to compensate for the evils which he felt or imagined here and if in their bewildered conjectures as to the purpose of earthly existence the banqueters should throw aside the veil and cast an inquiring glance at this figure of death as seeking thence the solution otherwise unattainable the only reply would be a stare of the vacant eye-caverns and a grin of the skeleton jaws such was the response that the dead man had fancied himself to receive when he asked of death to solve the riddle of his life and it was his desire to repeat it when the guests of his dismal hospitality should find themselves perplexed with the same question what means that wreath asked several of the company while viewing the decorations of the table they alluded to a wreath of cypress which was held on high by a skeleton arm protruding from within the black mantle it is a crown said one of the stewards not for the worthiest but for the woefulest when he shall prove his claim to it the guest earliest bidden to the festival was a man of soft and gentle character who had not energy to struggle against a heavy despondency to which his temperament rendered him liable and therefore with nothing outwardly to excuse him from happiness he had spent a life of quiet misery that made his blood torpid and weighed upon his breath and sat like a ponderous night-fiend upon every throb of his unresisting heart his wretchedness seemed as deep as his original nature if not identical with it it was the misfortune of a second guest to cherish within his bosom a diseased heart which had become so wretchedly sore that the continual and unavoidable rubs of the world the blow of an enemy the careless jostle of a stranger and even the faithful and loving touch of a friend alike made ulcers in it as is the habit of people thus afflicted he found his chief employment in exhibiting these miserable sores to any who would give themselves the pain of viewing them a third guest was a hypochondriac whose imagination wrought necromancy in his outward and inward world and caused him to see monstrous faces in the household fire and dragons in the clouds of sunset and fiends in the guise of beautiful women and something ugly or wicked beneath all the pleasant services of nature his neighbor at table was one who in his early youth had trusted mankind too much and hoped too highly in their behalf and in meeting with many disappointments had become desperately soured for several years back this misanthrope had employed himself in accumulating motives for hating and despising his race such as murder lust treachery ingratitude faithlessness of trusted friends instinctive vices of children impurity of women 
hidden guilt in men of saint-like aspect, and in short all manner of black realities that sought to decorate themselves with outward grace or glory. But at every atrocious fact that was added to his catalogue, at every increase of the sad knowledge which he spent his life to collect, the native impulses of the poor man's loving and confiding heart made him groan with anguish. Next, with his heavy brow bent downward, there stole into the hall a man naturally earnest and impassioned, who, with his immemorial infancy, had felt the consciousness of a high message to the world, but essaying to deliver it, had found either no voice nor form of speech, or else no ears to listen. Therefore his whole life was a bitter questioning of himself. Why have not men acknowledged my mission? Am I not a self-deluding fool? What business have I on earth? Where is my grave? Throughout the festival he quaffed frequent draughts from a sepulchral urn of wine, having thus to quench the celestial fire that tortured his own breast and could not benefit his race. Then there entered, having flung away a ticket for a ball, a grey gallant of yesterday, who had found four or five wrinkles in his brow, and more grey hairs than he could well number on his head. Endowed with sense and feeling, he had nevertheless spent his youth in folly, but had reached at last that dreary point in life where folly quits us of her own accord, leaving us to make friends with wisdom if we can. Thus, cold and desolate, he had come to seek wisdom at the banquet, and wondered if the skeleton were she. To eke out the company, the Stuarts had invited a distressed poet from his home in the almshouse, and a melancholy idiot from the street corner. The latter had just the glimmering of sense that was sufficient to make him conscious of a vacancy, which the poor fellow all his life long had mistily sought to fill up with intelligence, wandering up and down the streets, and groaning miserably, because his attempts were ineffectual. The only lady in the hall was one who had fallen short of absolute and perfect beauty merely by the trifling defect of a slight cast in her left eye. But this blemish, minute as it was, so shocked the pure ideal of her soul, rather than her vanity, that she passed her life in solitude, and veiled her countenance even from her own gaze. So the skeleton sat shrouded at one end of the table, and this poor lady at the other. One other guest remains to be described. He was a young man, of smooth brow, fair cheek, and fashionable mien. So far as his exterior developed him, he might much more suitably have found a place at some merry Christmas table than have been numbered among the blighted, freight-stricken, fancy-tortured set of ill-starred banqueters. Murmurs arose among the guests, as they noted the glance of general scrutiny which the intruder threw over his companions. What had he to do among them? Why did not the skeleton of the dead founder of the feast unbend its rattling joints, arise, and motion the unwelcome stranger from the board? "'Shameful,' said the morbid man, while a new ulcer broke out in his heart. "'He comes to mock us. We shall be the jest of his tavern friends. He will make a farce of our miseries, and bring it out upon the stage.' "'Oh, never mind him.' said the hypochondriac, smiling sourly. He shall feast from yonder tureen of viper-soup, and if there is a fricassee of scorpions on the table, pray let him have his share of it. For the dessert he shall taste the apples of Sodom. Then, if he like our Christmas fare, let him return again next year. Oh, trouble him not, murmured the melancholy man with gentleness. What matters it whether the consciousness of misery come a few years sooner or later? If this youth deem himself happy now, yet let him sit with us, for the sake of the wretchedness to come. 
the poor idiot approached the young man with that mournful aspect of vacant inquiry which his face continually wore and which caused people to say that he was always in search of his missing wits after no little examination he touched the stranger's hand but immediately drew back his own shaking his head and shivering cold 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 muttered the idiot the young man shivered too and smiled gentlemen and you madam said one of the stewards of the festival do not conceive so ill neither of our caution nor judgment as to imagine that we have admitted this young stranger javet's hastings by name without a full investigation and thoughtful balance of his claims trust me not a guest at the table is better entitled to his seat the steward's guarantee was perforce satisfactory the company therefore took their places and addressed themselves to the serious business of the feast but were soon disturbed by the hypochondriac who thrust back his chair complaining that a dish of stewed toads and vipers was set before him and that there was green ditch-water in his cup of wine this estate being amended he quietly resumed his seat the wine as it flowed freely from the sepulchral urn seemed to come imbued with all gloomy inspirations so that its influence was not to cheer but either to sink the revellers into a deeper melancholy or elevate their spirits into an enthusiasm of wretchedness the conversation was various they told sad stories about people who might have been worthy guests at such a festival at the present they talked of grisly incidents in human history of strange crimes which if truly considered were but convulsions of agony of some lives that had been altogether wretched and of others which wearing a general semblance of happiness had yet been deformed sooner or later by misfortune as by the intrusion of a grim face at a banquet of deathbed scenes and what dark intimations might be gathered from the words of the dying men of suicide and whether the more eligible mode were by halter knife poison drowning gradual starvation or the fumes of charcoal the majority of the guests as is the custom with people thoroughly and profoundly sick at heart were anxious to make their own woes the theme of discussion and prove themselves most excellent in anguish the misanthropist went deep into the philosophy of evil and wandered about in the darkness with now and then a gleam of discoloured light hovering on ghastly shapes and horrid scenery many a miserable thought such as men have stumbled upon from age to age did he now rake up again and gloat over it as an inestimable gem a diamond a treasure far preferable to those bright spiritual revelations of a better world which are like precious stones from heaven's pavement and then amid his lore of wretchedness he hid his face and wept it was a festival in which the woeful man of us might suitably have been a guest together with all in each succeeding age who had tasted deepest of the bitterness of life and be it said too that every son or daughter of woman however favoured with happy fortune might at one sad moment or another have claimed the privilege of a stricken heart to sit down at this table but throughout the feast it was remarked that the young stranger Gervais hastings was unsuccessful in his attempts to catch its pervading spirit that any deep strong thought that found utterance and which was torn out as it were from the saddest recesses of human consciousness he looked mystified and bewildered even more than the poor idiot who seemed to grasp at such things with his earnest heart and thus occasionally to comprehend them the young man's conversation was of a colder and lighter kind often brilliant but lacking the powerful characteristics of a nature that had been developed by suffering sir said the misanthropist bluntly in reply to some observation by gervaise hastings 
pray do not address me again we have no right to talk together our minds have nothing in common by what claim you appear at this banquet i cannot guess but methinks to a man who could say what you have just now said my companions and myself must seem no more than shadows flickering on the wall and precisely such a shadow are you to us the young man smiled and bowed but drawing himself back in his chair he buttoned his coat over his breast as if the banqueting hall were growing chill again the idiot fixed his melancholy stare upon the youth and murmured cold 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 the banquet drew to its conclusion and the guests departed scarcely had they stepped across the threshold of the hall when the scene that had there passed seemed like the vision of a sick fancy or an exhalation from a stagnant heart now and then however during the year that ensued these melancholy people caught glimpses of one another transient indeed but enough to prove that they walk the earth with the ordinary allotment of reality sometimes a pair of them came face to face while stealing through the evening twilight enveloped in their sable cloaks sometimes they casually met in churchyards once also it happened that two of the dismal banqueters mutually started at recognizing each other in the noonday sunshine of a crowded street stalking there like ghosts astray doubtless they wondered why the skeleton did not come abroad at noonday too but whenever the necessity of their affairs compelled these christmas guests into the bustling world they were sure to encounter the young man who had so unaccountably been admitted to the festival they saw him among the gay and fortunate they caught the sunny sparkle of his eye they heard the light and careless tones of his voice and muttered to themselves with such indignation as only the aristocracy of wretchedness can kindle the traitor the vile impostor providence in its own good time may give him a right to feast among us but the young man's unabashed eye dwelt upon their gloomy figures as they passed him seeming to say perchance with somewhat of a sneer first know my secret then measure your claims with mine the step of time stole onward and soon brought merry christmas round again with glad and solemn worship in the churches and sports games festivals and everywhere the bright face of joy beside the household fire again likewise the hall with its curtains of dusky purple was illuminated by the death torches gleaming on the sepulchral decorations of the banquet the veiled skeleton sat in state lifting the cypress wreath above its head as the guerdon of some guest illustrious in the qualifications which there claimed precedence as the stewards deemed the world inexhaustible in misery and were desirous of recognizing it in all its forms they had not seen fit to reassemble the company of the former year new faces now threw their gloom across the table there was a man of nice conscience who bore a bloodstain in his heart the death of a fellow-creature which for his more exquisite torture had chanced with such a peculiarity of circumstance that he could not absolutely determine whether his will had entered into the deed or not therefore his whole life was spent in the agony of an inward trial for murder with a continual sifting of the details of his terrible calamity until his mind had no longer any thought nor his soul any emotion disconnected with it there was a mother too a mother once but a desolation now who many years before had gone out on a pleasure party and returning found her infant smothered in its little bed and ever since she had been tortured with the fantasy that her buried baby lies smothering in its coffin then there was an aged lady who had lived from time immemorial with a constant tremor quivering through her frame 
it was terrible to discern her dark shadow tremulous upon the wall her lips likewise were tremulous and the expression of her eyes seemed to indicate that her soul was trembling too owing to the bewilderment and confusion which made almost a chaos of her intellect it was impossible to discover what dire misfortune had thus shaken her nature to its depths so that the stewards had admitted her to the table not from any acquaintance with her history but on the safe testimony of her miserable aspect some surprise was expressed at the presence of a bluff red-faced gentleman a certain mr smith who had evidently the fat of many a rich feast within him and the habitual twinkle of whose eye betrayed a disposition to break forth into uproarious laughter for little cause or none it turned out however that with the best possible flow of spirits our poor friend was afflicted with a physical disease of the heart which threatened instant death on the slightest cachinatory indulgence or even that titillation of the bodily frame produced by merry thoughts in this dilemma he had sought admittance to the banquet on the ostensible plea of his irksome and miserable state but in reality with the hope of imbibing a life-preserving melancholy a married couple had been invited from a motive of bitter humour it being well understood that they rendered each other unutterably miserable whenever they chanced to meet and therefore must necessarily be fit associates at the festival in contrast with these was another couple still unmarried who had interchanged their hearts in early life but had been divided by circumstances as impalpable as morning mist and kept apart so long that their spirits now found it impossible to meet therefore yearning for communion yet shrinking from one another and choosing none beside they found themselves companionless in life and looked upon eternity as a boundless desert next to the skeleton sat a mere son of earth a haunter of the exchange a gatherer of shining dust a man whose life's record was in his ledger and whose soul's prison-house the vaults of the bank where he kept his deposits this person had been greatly perplexed at his invitation deeming himself one of the most fortunate men in the city but the stewards persisted in demanding his presence assuring him that he had no conception how miserable he was and now appeared a figure which we must acknowledge as our acquaintance of the former festival it was javet's hastings whose presence had then caused so much question and criticism and who now took his place with the composure of one whose claims were satisfactory to himself and must needs be allowed by others yet his easy and unruffled face betrayed no sorrow the well-skilled beholders gazed a moment into his eyes and shook their heads to miss the unuttered sympathy the countersign never to be falsified of those whose hearts are cavern mouths through which they descend into a region of illimitable woe and recognize other wanderers there who is this youth asked the man with a bloodstain on his conscience surely he has never gone down into the depths i know all the aspects of those who have passed through the dark valley by what right is he among us ah it is a sinful thing to come hither without a sorrow murmured the aged lady in accents that partook of the eternal tremor which pervaded her whole being depart young man your soul has never been shaken and therefore i tremble so much the more to look at you his soul shaken no i'll answer for it said bluff mr smith pressing his hand upon his heart and making himself as melancholy as he could for fear of a fatal explosion of laughter but i know the lad well he has as fair prospects as any young man about town and has no more right among us miserable creatures than the child unborn he never was miserable and probably never will be our honoured guests interposed the stewards 
pray have patience with us and believe at least that our deep veneration for the sacredness of this solemnity would preclude any wilful violation of it receive this young man to your table it may not be too much to say that no guest here would exchange his own heart for the one that beats within that youthful bosom i'd call it a bargain and gladly too muttered mr smith with a perplexing mixture of sadness and mirthful conceit a plague upon their nonsense my own heart is the only really miserable one in the company it will certainly be the death of me at last nevertheless as on the former occasion the judgment of the stewards being without appeal the company sat down the obnoxious guest made no more attempt to obtrude his conversation on those about him but appeared to listen to the table-talk with peculiar assiduity as if some inestimable secret otherwise beyond his reach might be conveyed in a casual word and in truth to those who could understand and value it there was rich matter in the upgushings and outpourings of these initiated souls to whom sorrow had been a talisman admitting them into spiritual depths which no other spell can open sometimes out of the midst of densest gloom there flashed a momentary radiance pure as crystal bright as the flame of stars and shedding such a glow upon the mystery of life that the guests were ready to exclaim surely the riddle is on the point of being solved at such illuminated intervals the saddest mourners felt it to be revealed that mortal griefs are but shadowy and external no more than the sable robes voluminously shrouding a certain divine reality and thus indicating what might otherwise be altogether invisible to mortal eye just now remarked the trembling old woman i seemed to see beyond the outside and then my everlasting tremor passed away oh, would that i could dwell always in these momentary gleams of light said the man of stricken conscience then the blood-stain in my heart would be washed clean away this strain of conversation appeared so unintelligibly absurd to good mr smith that he burst into precisely the fit of laughter that his physicians had warned him against as likely to prove instantaneously fatal in effect he fell back in his chair a corpse with a broad grin upon his face while his ghost perchance remained beside it bewildered at its unpremeditated exit this catastrophe of course broke up the festival how is this you do not tremble observed the tremulous old woman to gervaise hastings who was gazing at the dead man with singular intentness is it not awful to see him so suddenly vanish out of the midst of life this man of flesh and blood whose earthly nature was so warm and strong there is a never-ending tremor in my soul but it trembles afresh at this and you are calm would that he could teach me somewhat said gervaise hastings drawing a long breath men pass before me like shadows on the wall their actions passions feelings are flickering of the light and then they vanish neither the corpse nor yonder skeleton nor this old woman's everlasting tremor can give me what i seek and then the company departed we cannot linger to narrate in such detail more circumstances of these singular festivals which in accordance with the founder's will continue to be kept with the regularity of an established institution in process of time the stewards adopted the custom of inviting from far and near those individuals whose misfortunes were prominent above other men's and whose mental and moral development might therefore be supposed to possess a corresponding interest the exiled noble of the french revolution and the broken soldier of the empire were alike represented at the table fallen monarchs wandering about the earth 
have found places at that forlorn and miserable feast the statesman when his party flung him off might if he chose to be once more a great man for the space of a single banquet aaron burr's name appears on the record at a period when his ruin the profoundest and most striking with more of a moral circumstance in it than that of almost any other man was complete in his lonely age stephen gerard when his wealth weighed upon him like a mountain once sought admittance of his own accord it is not probable however that these men had any lessons to teach in the lore of discontent and misery which might not equally well have been studied in the common walks of life the illustrious unfortunates attract a wider sympathy not because their griefs are more intense but because being set on lofty pedestals they the better serve mankind as instances and bywords of calamity it concerns our present purpose to say that at each successive festival gervaise hastings showed his face gradually changing from the smooth beauty of his youth to the thoughtful comeliness of mankind and thence to the bald impressive dignity of age he was the only individual invariably present yet at each occasion there were murmurs both from those who knew his character and position and from them whose hearts shrank back as denying his companionship in their mystic fraternity who is this impassive man had been asked a hundred times has he suffered has he sinned there are no traces of either and wherefore is he here you must inquire of the stewards or of himself was the constant reply we seem to know him well here in our city and know nothing of him but what is creditable and fortunate yet here he comes year after year to this gloomy banquet and sits among the guests like a marble statue ask yonder skeleton perhaps that may solve the riddle it was in truth a wonder the life of gervaise hastings was not merely a prosperous but a brilliant one everything had gone well for him he was wealthy far beyond the expenditure that was required for habits of magnificence a taste of rare purity and cultivation a love of travel a scholar's instinct to collect a splendid library and moreover what seemed a munificent liberality to the distressed he had sought domestic happiness and not vainly if a lovely and tender wife and children a fair promise could ensure it he had besides ascended above the limit which separates the obscure from the distinguished and had won a stainless reputation in affairs of the widest public importance not that he was a popular character or had within him the mysterious attributes which are essential to that species of success to the public he was a cold abstraction wholly destitute of those rich hues of personality that living warmth and that peculiar faculty of stamping his own heart's impression on a multitude of hearts by which the people recognize their favorites and it must be owned that after his most intimate associates had done their best to know him thoroughly and love him warmly they were startled to find how little hold he had upon their affections they approved they admired but still in those moments when the human spirit most craves reality they shrank back from gervaise hastings as powerless to give them what they sought it was the feeling of distrustful regret with which he should draw back the hand after extending it in an elusive twilight to grasp the hand of a shadow upon the wall as the superficial fervency of youth decayed this peculiar effect of gervaise hastings character grew more perceptible his children when he extended his arms came coldly to his knees but never climbed them of their own accord his wife wept secretly and almost adjudged herself a criminal because she shivered in the chill of his bosom he too occasionally appeared not unconscious of the chilledness of his moral atmosphere and willing if it might be so to warm himself at a kindly fire but age stole onward and benumbed him more and more 
as the hoar-frost began to gather on him, his wife went to her grave, and was doubtless warmer there. His children either died, or were scattered to different homes of their own, and old Gervais Hastings, unscathed by grief, alone but needing no companionship, continued his steady walk through life, and still, on every Christmas day, attended at the dismal banquet. His privilege as a guest had become prescriptive now. Had he claimed the head of the table, even the skeleton would have been ejected from its seat. Finally, at the merry Christmas-tide, when he had numbered fourscore years complete, this pale, high-browed, marble-featured old man once more entered the long-frequented hall with the same impassive aspect that had called forth so much dissatisfied remark at his first attendance. Time, except in matters merely external, had done nothing for him, either of good or evil. As he took his place, he threw a calm, inquiring glance around the table, as if to ascertain whether any guest had yet appeared, after so many unsuccessful banquets, who might impart to him the mystery, the deep, warm secret, the life within the life, which, whether manifested in joy or sorrow, is what gives substance to the world of shadows. "'My friends,' said Gervaise Hastings, assuming a position which his long conversance with the festival caused to appear natural, "'you are welcome. I drink to you all in this cup of sepulchral wine.' The guests replied courteously, but still in a manner that proved them unable to receive the old man as a member of their sad fraternity. It may be well to give the reader an idea of the present company at the banquet. One was formerly a clergyman, enthusiastic in his profession, and apparently of the genuine dynasty of those old Puritan divines whose faith in their calling, and stern exercise of it, had placed them among the mighty of the earth. But, yielding to the speculative tendency of the age, he had gone astray from the firm foundation of an ancient faith, and wandered into a cloud region, where everything was misty and deceptive, ever mocking him with a semblance of reality, but still dissolving when he flung himself upon it for support and rest. His instincts and early training demanded something steadfast, but, looking forward, he beheld vapours, piled on vapours, and behind him, an impassable gulf between the man of yesterday and to-day, on the borders of which he paced to and fro, sometimes wringing his hands in agony, and often making his own woe a theme of scornful merriment. This, surely, was a miserable man. Next there was a theorist, one of a numerous tribe, although he deemed himself unique since the creation, a theorist who had conceived a plan by which all the wretchedness of earth, moral and physical, might be done away, and the bliss of the millennium at once accomplished. But, the incredulity of mankind debarring him from action, he was smitten with as much grief as if the whole mass of woe which he was denied the opportunity to remedy were crowded into his own bosom. A plain old man in black attracted much of the company's notice, on the supposition that he was no other than Father Miller, who, it seemed, had given himself up to despair at the tedious delay of the final conflagration. Then there was a man distinguished for native pride and obstinacy, who, a little while before, had possessed immense wealth and held the control of a vast moneyed interest, which he had wielded in the same spirit as a despotic monarch would wield the power of his empire, carrying on a tremendous moral warfare, the roar and tremor of which was felt at every fireside in the land. At length came a crushing ruin, a total overthrow of fortune, power, and character, the effect of which on his imperious, and in many respects noble and lofty nature, might entitle him to a place not merely at our festival, but among the peers of pandemonium. 
there was a modern philanthropist who had become so deeply sensible of the calamities of thousands and millions of his fellow-creatures and of the impracticableness of any general measures for their relief that he had no heart to do what little good lay immediately within his power but contented himself with being miserable for sympathy near him sat a gentleman in a predicament hitherto unprecedented but of which the present epoch probably affords numerous examples ever since he was of capacity to read a newspaper this person had prided himself on his consistent adherence to one political party but in the confusion of these latter days had got bewildered and knew not whereabouts his party was this wretched condition so morally desolate and disheartening to a man who has long accustomed himself to merge his individuality in the mass of a great body can only be conceived by such as have experienced it his next companion was a popular orator who had lost his voice and as it was pretty much all that he had to lose had fallen into a state of hopeless melancholy the table was likewise graced by two of the gentler sex one a half-starved consumptive seamstress the representative of thousands just as wretched the other a woman of unemployed energy who found herself in the world with nothing to achieve nothing to enjoy and nothing even to suffer she had therefore driven herself to the verge of madness by dark broodings over the wrongs of her sex and its exclusion from a proper field of action the roll of guests being thus complete a side-table had been set for three or four disappointed office-seekers with hearts as sick as death whom the stewards had admitted partly because their calamities really entitled them to entrance here and partly that they were in a special need of a good dinner there was likewise a homeless dog with his tail between his legs licking up the crumbs and gnawing the fragments of the feast such a melancholy cur as one sometimes sees about the streets without a master and willing to follow the first that will accept his service in their own way these were as wretched a set of people as ever had assembled at the festival there they sat with the veiled skeleton of the founder holding aloft the cypress wreath at one end of the table and at the other wrapped in furs the withered figure of gervais hastings stately calm and cold impressing the company with awe yet so little interesting their sympathy that he might have vanished into thin air without their once exclaiming whither is he gone sir said the philanthropist addressing the old man you have been so long a guest at this annual festival and have thus been conversant with so many varieties of human affliction that not improbably you have thence derived some great and important lessons how blessed were your lot could you reveal a secret by which all this mass of woe might be removed i know of but one misfortune answered gervaise hastings quietly and that is my own your own rejoined the philanthropist and looking back on your serene and prosperous life how can you claim to be the sole unfortunate of the human race you will not understand it replied gervaise hastings feebly and with a singular inefficiency of pronunciation and sometimes putting one word for another none have understood it not even those who experience the like it is a chillness a want of earnestness a feeling as if what should be my heart were a thing of vapour a haunting perception of unreality thus seeming to possess all that other men have all that men aim at i have really possessed nothing neither joys nor griefs all things all persons as was truly said to me at this table long and long ago have been like shadows flickering on the wall it was so with my wife and children 
with those who seemed my friends it is so with yourselves whom i see now before me neither have i myself any real existence but am a shadow like the rest and how is it with your views of a future life inquired the speculative clergyman worse than with you said the old man in a hollow and feeble tone for i cannot conceive it earnestly enough to feel either hope or fear mine mine is the wretchedness this cold heart this unreal life it grows colder still it so chanced that at this juncture the decayed ligaments of the skeleton gave way and the dry bones fell together in a heap thus causing the dusty wreath of cypress to drop upon the table the attention of the company being diverted for a single instant from gervaise hastings they perceived on turning again towards him that the old man had undergone a change his shadow had ceased to flicker on the wall well rosina what is your criticism asked roderick as he rolled up the manuscript frankly your success is by no means complete replied she it is true i have an idea of the character you endeavour to describe but it is rather by dint of my own thought than your expression that is unavoidable observed the sculptor because the characteristics are all negative if gervaise hastings could have imbibed one human grief at the gloomy banquet the task of describing him would have been infinitely easier of such persons and we do meet with these moral monsters now and then it is difficult to conceive how they come to exist here or what there is in them capable of existence hereafter they seem to be on the outside of everything and nothing wearies the soul more than an attempt to comprehend them within its grasp End of the Christmas Banquet